0: Welcome to Con Langery. I'm George Corley, and with me is my lovely co host now across the pond in. Uh Mary England Bianca Mangum. Hello. And still in Wisconsin, probably will be in Wisconsin for a while is <laughs> William Annis. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Um, I
1: wanted you to end that with like probably in Wisconsin until the day he dies or something.
0: <laughs> yes.
2: So so how many appalling British stereotypes should we work into this episode? The food <laughs> No, no, no.
1: It is, though.
2: I I adore digestive biscuits.
1: Yeah, well, that's the only good thing. If you can eat off digestives for, like, the rest of your life, you're good. I
0: like digestives. I also like prawn cocktail flavored crisps.
1: I don't like chips, man.
0: You haven't tried the prawn cocktail, ones, though, have you?
1: But I don't like chips.
0: Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs>
3: uh,
2: so how many people have words for for chips in their conlangs, I wonder?
0: Uh I don't know how many know. people
1: have potatoes in their con world.
0: That's a good point. That 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 is a good point because like some historical conlangs might not have it.
2: Somebody needs to invent a language that is perfectly designed to express the perceptions and feelings of British soccer hooligans.
1: <laughs> you know that what's sad? I love watching soccer, but I haven't watched any soccer since I've been here, because I've had zero time to.
0: <laughs> I've only been there a little more than a week, give it time.
1: I watched You'll it every it. day before.
0: <laughs> I know, I know... um uh, around World Cup time, those that gets crazy over there.
1: I watched every single game of the World Cup. Ooh. Sorry, guys, I like my soccer.
0: Oh, no, that's fine. I like to watch the World Cup. I don't watch it all the time. I don't watch every game, though. I, nah, I think I skipped it.
1: Yeah, I mean, there were a, a couple of awesome. boring ones that I was kind of like, I don't really care. But, you know, have to watch them anyway important
0: (laughs) so anyway we're going to talk today about this is the last actually in our series on the holy trinity of verb uh, verbs mood so where tense and aspect have a lot to do with time uh tense has to do with when something occurred, an aspect has to do with how you're how you're portraying an action occurring through time uh mood is something a little different. mood I would say has to do kind of with um Well, it has to do with a lot of things, but mainly it's with the reality of an event. With the what of an event? The reality of an event, and sometimes your attitude toward the event.
1: Mm -hmm. Mood is just so muddy. It's it's hard to pin down. Yeah. Mood is Um, moody.
0: Yeah, and one thing I wanted to say right off the top is we sh- we this should apply to aspect as well and it should apply to a lot of other things in language in, in general in case in genders and such is that when we talk about mood when we talk about you know certain conventional label- labels we put on mood like indicative and subjunctive and and such it's It can be not exactly the definition you find in a linguistics dictionary or whatever, or on Wikipedia. Because so, it, sometimes, anytime you have these lists of things with conventional names in linguistics, it doesn't work exactly the same way in every language.
1: Mood is particularly tricky about that.
0: Oh. Yeah. Well, that's
2: related to one thing I want to cover a little bit more later when we we we've, we've covered a little bit more about mood. I want to come back to this because you have mood as something that is active and alive versus mood as something that's simply required by the grammar. so in, in formal linguistic formal in formal logic, there's different kinds of modal modalities. Um, and some linguists are moving aways f- away from these, but it's still useful to think about where you have, um, epistemic modality.
1: Oh, that's the word I was trying to think of today. <laughs> oh, or, I was thinking about modal. Little... Oh, wait, never mind.
2: Right? Or deontic modality. So epistemic means you're talking about. Your judgment of reality, right? Epistemology is the study of how we know things. So epistemic modality is is something possible. Is it likely? Did it happen or did it not happen? We're not sure. That sort of stuff. And then there's deontic modality, which is related to obligations and necessities. Yeah. So that's a useful distinction to make. Um, And then it can get, you know, we get weird little complications that we can, can can touch on a little bit. So, do you want to hit the the list of some common modal distinctions first, and then get to how those things are marked?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I actually I, like. uh, uh, I wrote down this list. So, a few common things that you will see are the indicative move. That's just basically marking a true statement. This thing happened. Then there's subjunctive, which Subjunctive has a lot of different things, but it's generally sort of an irrealist. This this is possible, this might happen. Uh there's optative, which is um someone wants something to happen, potential, something is possible, something can happen. Conditional, which is something could happen space if a certain condition is met, and then imperative. Imperative is probably one of the most used moods other than straight indicative because imperative is, of course, direct commands. Well, that depends on the
1: language. Ish. Kind of ish, but yeah. not always. Just to mess with your head. I really <laughs> have a hard time thinking of imperative as a mood, though.
3: Really? It I-
1: Yeah, like, I guess it doesn't fit as a tense or an aspect, but I guess it just doesn't feel like a mood to me. Well, imperative seems
0: to be marked differently than other moods most of the time. Yeah, so... Go ahead. I was going to say, the imperative
2: often patterns like a mood, and in... You get some languages where your your mood marking gets co-opted for imperatives in particular circumstances. So ancient Greek is really complicated, even though it has certain kinds of um, negative imperatives. It doesn't use them. It uses a subjunctive in preference. So there's this easy crossover there. Maybe an imperative isn't a mood, but it's mood-like enough that it seems useful to include here.
1: Yeah, yeah I mean, I can understand it, but it's kind of like, we don't have a space for it, but this is the closest fit we've got, so we're going to stick it here anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it sometimes will pattern close to something else, or, or it, it will look like something else. Like, uh, I know Spanish imperatives often will look like, uh, subjunctive, but all, there are also dedicated imperative forms. And and of course English English marks mood mostly with modal adverbs, but then uh, we have bare stem imperative.
1: Yeah. <sighs> anyway, <laughs> it's just a a thought. Um, what was I gonna say? Yeah. Oh, I have such a problem with mood. Mood is so slippery. I don't like it. Not <laughs> like it. But it is slippery.
2: Especially since each language tends to carve out things its own little way. Mhm. <clears throat> uh-huh.
1: Yeah. Well, let's
2: go. Let's talk a little bit about morphology and then we come back to the the slippery slippery moods. Okay. So, um, I'll just hit out a few and we can keep making the list. One is to have an entirely different system of mm-hmm. conjugating the verb if you do that. Whether you have an entirely different conjugation system, like a lot of Indo-European languages, or if you have an agglutin- like, agglutinative language, you might have a separate subjunctive marker. Um, uh, ancient Greek and Sanskrit are fun because they have entirely separate conjugations for the indicative, the subjunctive, and the optative. <laughs> which, the optative disappeared pretty quickly in Greek, so by the time you get to the New Testament, it's long gone. Except for a few set phrases, um, so that's that. You can use adverbs for some of these things, like he perhaps he is eating a pizza. Um, the modal verbs are very popular all over the world. No. Um, certainly, the Germanic languages are fond of them.
1: Oh, really?
0: Yes, we know <laughs> this from English. With English, yeah. <laughs> Although, so here, here's
2: another. We'll we'll talk a little bit about some slipperiness. English and Dutch both do something that I consider a little bit perverse, but apparently it happens all over. Is it has it has some verbs that can be used both for modality and for evidentiality? Yay. So, for example, in English, must, you can say, you must be here at 12, deontic modal. Or you could step outside your front door and see that the sidewalk is wet, and you can say, it must have rained. That is a suppositional evidential. Dutch apparently follows the same way. This sort of hanky-panky between mood and evidence is apparently fairly common across different languages. Hmm but if you're inventing a conlang and you're new and you invent a modal verb must make sure you distinguish those meanings if you're cuz that's a really weird thing that english and dutch do
0: <clears throat> yeah or you could you could co-opt another modal to mean that because it doesn't have to be like you can have a similar feature without Mapping it directly to the same things that English does. Right. In fact, you should do it that way if you're going to use that feature.
2: Or if you yes, if you care about not reproducing English semantics, then then there you go.
1: Yes, I remember talking about. Oh, I believe we spent like a whole week on modals in my semantics class. Of course, I don't remember anything. Cause it was five years ago, so whatever. But did,
2: did anyone's head explode during that week?
1: I don't know. It was, like, my first week of college. My memory is gone. Oh, dear. (laughs) Maybe it was, like, it was my first semester, definitely, because I took it during my first semester. It wasn't that bad. I had a really good professor for it, but there were also some annoying people who kept asking stupid questions. (laughs) So, you know... I'm fairly yeah. certain at least one person's head exploded.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't blame them. It it does get a little kooky. Um, one thing I kind of am curious about, but I don't know quite enough about it, because my only, my only example would be Spanish for this, is how mood interacts with Conditional statements.
1: Pick a language; it's probably different in each one. Yeah. I mean, I in one of my my second conlang, I think, I think I stole something off of Basque, which I'm not sure about the Basque at all. But the way I used it, it ended up being both a subjunctive and a conditional together.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Well, I think. That's one possibility for Spanish. But Spanish has actually several different possibilities based on how likely the event is. Yeah. Um, Right. Well, thanks to ancient Greek, I
2: have a very large... In my brain, there exists the platonic ideal of a good half-dozen different kinds of conditional forms, and all of those (laughs) are indicated in Greek by a combination of mood um, and modal particles in both the if clause and the then clause. So there's, you know, future less vi- vivid, future more vivid, and contrafactual this and contrafactual that. So there's quite a lot there, and that's certainly one common use of mood. Mm-hmm. Now, I should say, though, that some people indicate counterfactual conditions, not with a different mood, but they use an entirely different word for if. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to reproduce the whole English or the whole European conditional system and that use of the moods to, uh, to, to do these conditions. And then there are other languages that, that don't distinguish any of your conditions at all. You have to rely on context to figure them out.
1: So you basically get the whole spectrum.
2: <laughs> there is, yes. The whole spectrum is there. And uh, uh, with, I assume, various adverbs and other things to help clear it up. Uh, one thing I wanted to say, though, about the optative is in Indo-European languages, the optative can be used to indicate something that you want. But it is far, far more likely to be used as a subjunctive in the past.
0: Ah, huh. Okay. That's one of those messy things that occurs. Right. Because in ancient Greek, and I believe this is...
2: I'm not going to say that. Okay, so in ancient Greek, the verb system is primarily about aspect. The only time your two past tenses mean a past is in the indicative. In all other moods, including the imperative, they are simply aspects. So you have your present, which is your imperfective stem, and your aorist, which is your perfective stem. So your subjunctive is weird then, because it's purely aspectual with no time encoded. So, And then there are other things that the optative can do that have nothing to do with wish. And probably it started out its life indicating something other than wish.
3: Hmm.
0: Yeah, it seems like one of those things that ends up picking up meanings that are far from its original or its, or its general meaning.
2: Sure, well, this is, you know, my the saying that I like so much, that grammar is born hungry. If some new piece of grammar is finally born in a language, it immediately starts looking for un, uncontrolled semantic space to take over. And certainly the moods do that.
1: Yeah. What about some other funky moods that are less common? Like subjunctive and optative are fairly common, aren't they?
0: Uh well, there are a lot of them. <laughs> there are a lot of them. Um uh let me look up the Wikipedia list. Yeah. Well, one that's pretty common that
2: you'll see is the Jussive. Which it comes up a lot in things like classical Arabic and a few of the other Semitic languages. And it's mostly used um in it, it's it's another sort of wishing kind of mood. Um which
0: isn't Joseph sort of wishing for someone else to do something though, right?
3: Uh, okay.
0: You're 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 asking somebody to do something. Right. Right, like a, a soccer imperative, right? And then it gets confused because what does a first person imperative mean? Oh
1: yeah, <laughs> fun times! Right, and,
2: and then that gets t- t- tweaked. And then there's I forget it's a cohortative. I forget the name of that mood. Right, so you can get things that are called moods that are only that are you know restricted to particular persons. Mm. So for me, I'm used to looking at. At languages that maybe only have one of these um, non indicative moods, and just gets called the irrealis, which can cover such an enormous range of things.
0: Yeah, uh, to be clear, irrealis basically, at its most basic, is any event for which the uh, truth of it is not known. Right. It's it's either false or you don't know whether it's true.
2: Uh well see, but it depends on the language. It could, <laughs> it could that's the confusing thing. Right? What it's used for is going to be different from language to language. And and what I love is some languages are completely irrealis obsessed and use it for not just Situations that you're not sure about. But they are obligatorily used with all questions and all negative statements. Mm. Ooh. Okay. right. That makes sense. Right. So the current language I'm working on now, I said that sounds fun, so I'm doing that with it as well. So, needless to say, there's a lot of irrealis marking in the language.
3: I
0: could see that. Although there are are there is a um, like an interactive mood, not sure calm, some like languages it. have that, mm, but yeah, you can just use Irialis for just about anything that way, I guess
2: well, Irealis is sort of the catch all for yeah. things it, it's just but as you said, if I invent this thing, and I say this is the subjunctive, well, that's highly misleading, yeah, because most people who when they think subjunctive they think back to their Spanish or German class and their, or whatever, and they're like. Oh, but you don't use it with negatives or questions. That makes no sense, right? So, you have to be careful with some of these these
0: terms. Yeah, which is something I'm curious about with the subjunctive mood in my ayuruyo. I'm thinking of renaming it Irealis or something else because it doesn't it, the it works mostly like a subjunctive, but I'm not sure because that language also has several other moods. I don't know if I should call it a subjunctive or not.
2: Right. Um, v is a little confusing. Well, early in the language when we were trying to decipher, it, it was confusing. People were like, this is a subjunctive. I'm like, no, I don't think this is a subjunctive. Now it turns out that Paul Fromer calls it a subjunctive. But in many places it should simply be considered a dependency marker.
0: Hmm. Okay.
2: Right. So if you use a modal verb like must, the verb the, the, the controlled verb has to be in what's called the subjunctive. Okay. Yeah. But but that is not normally yeah, how we think of subjunctive working working in Indo European languages. So. Yeah,
0: that's no. not uh I wouldn't call that a subjunctive either. I wouldn't even call that a mood. I think you have it right.
2: Except that it can also be used for
0: moody kinds of things.
2: Oh, <laughs> Of well, course. Right? So that's that's where we get confusing. It's And, and <clears throat> this is one of the points I wanted to bring up and, and mention at the beginning. Is your subjunctive free or is it locked down? That is, can you use the subjunctive freely anytime you wish to indicate uncertainty? Or is it simply a requirement of certain kinds of subordinate clauses? My favorite example, as always, is ancient Greek, because in Homer, if you just look at conditional sentences, have a bewildering variety of options available. Subjunctives, non-subjunctives, this particular little particle, no one knows what it means. optatives mixed with subjunctives and futures and all sorts of craziness. And by the time you get to Plato, it's all locked down. These little refinements and subtleties of mood and nuance that were available to Homer have been obliterated by the time you get to much later Greek. So in that case, is is it really a subjunctive, or is it just a dependency, Mark?
0: That's a curious question. Because... Right, so
2: I did a little research on this before we started, and... We have people who insist that mood and dependency are separate, and other people have written entire books claiming that they're <laughs> fundamentally identical processes. So it's an open question that the three of us are not going to answer, but it's something people should think about when they're inventing their languages.
1: You know what else sometimes I wonder? I was—I think I had this question before um, with the politeness, but with the subjunctive as well. I always hear of languages that have lost the subjunctive or are losing their subjunctive, but does anyone know of languages that are currently kind of in the process of gaining one or have recently gained one?
0: I don't know, because I know in English we're... Like, it was, it was replaced by uh, modal verbs a long time ago, but, but we have just a vestige of it left
1: a dying vestige.
0: Yeah, but... Um, its
1: last breath.
0: Yeah, but I don't know of the language that's gaining it. William, you nope. know about the I, ha- I have no idea. <laughs> I think
1: it's harder to spot when they're gaining than when they've lost it. But, whatever.
0: I would probably look for a modal in that case, because right. usually that's just a general rule of language. Something Will appear with, uh, sort of, uh, analytical morphology before it becomes grammaticalized.
2: Oh, yes. And, right, I'm trying to think. Uh, I think the, aren't some of the, in the Romance languages, aren't the conditional moods developments of highly reduced paraphrases with like, Oh man. Uh I, I would don't have to know go. somewhere I on Facebook I have a textbook of, of old Provencal, but I'm not gonna go look that up now. But I'm pretty sure that's the case where you had a a modal situation of infinitive plus some weird mood of have turned into the conditional when it all got glommed together.
0: Uh I am thinking so, because I know that uh the Spanish future tense Comes from the verb plus abere, which which got stuck together, and I think that the conditional has a similar. Um, conditional is etymology. also
1: weird in that you don't take off the er or ir stem. I wonder right. if it could yeah, be the same how, thing. Yeah,
0: yeah that's how. Yeah, and that's the the same. That's why I'm thinking that it's related to the future tense, because both of those, you don't take those off because it came from something after the verb that got stuck to it. Could right, well So I mean, we
2: have we have historical evidence where we can see a mood developing, um, but I don't know if we have any right now that we can yeah. point to saying. Hey.
1: Well, that kind of answered my question, because, you know, I always hear about English losing it. Swedish had a subjunctive, which I think is pretty much dead now. Um, but I really don't know that much outside of the Indo-European realm, so.
0: Uh, you're getting some weird pulsating static.
1: Sorry, I think that was just me.
0: Okay. Anyway. um,
1: Sometimes I pulsate static. (laughs) 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 Uh, anyway. (laughs) I'm sorry, it's late. She
2: picked up she picked up aesthetic charge in her transatlantic
0: flight. Okay. Anyway, uh oh, what were we talking about anyway? <laughs> mood. <laughs> we were talking about yes, we were talking about mood and And we and the question about, of mood versus dependency marking. That's true. Um Yeah. So we can't really say as William said, because Academics are going back and forth about whether they are the same thing or different thing so it's but it's an interesting thing to talk to think about whether you would want to consider it the same or different in your language while you're constructing it right
2: so i have uh in my current language my I have this I've been calling it irrealis marking on in the show, but really it's just a dependency marker that also happens to always be used in negative statements and questions. Mm-hmm. It's it's not subjunctive at all. It indicates no epistemic or deontic mood stuff at all. Um, those are you know managed with adverbs or or let's see what do I do? I got adverbs. I've got a verb. Uh, prefixes and modal verbs all of them
0: oh yeah that's a, that's another important thing to actually think about because um uh this is something that we should mention that we should uh talk say in regards to all three of these things is that very often the the tam trinity the t- tense aspect and mood a language will use multiple multiple um, strategies for marking any of them. And mood especially, you can have a language that has both modals and uh, verb forms that have a specific mood. Right. I would
2: expect that that is the most common pattern, to have a few moods and then a whole bunch of modal verbs or adverbs. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of a native, uh, a native, a natural language with a very large number of moods. And I can easily think of languages with ridiculous numbers of tenses or aspects, but I have a harder time concocting a list of languages with, you know, a bunch of an unusual number of moods. Mm. That, by, that by which I mean um, things that are glommed onto the verb rather than all of these different things combined.
1: Hmm. I don't know any particularly mood-heavy languages.
0: <sighs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I can't really think of any. I should have gone looking. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> we should, we should, we should take a look at that. But, you know, in general, you can have multiple, and I think that's, that's certainly something that I have failed to do and failed to think of in the past and I'm sure a lot of conlangers don't think of this immediately when they're constructing their languages is uh any really anything you can have more than more than one strategy used um but the tense aspect and mood definitely you can have more than one strategy for marking any of those
1: If you only had one strategy, that would be really weird.
0: Yeah. Like, I I think I need to go back over Iurio because I only have my five morphological moods and I haven't thought of other ways of doing modals or anything like that. Maybe I'll add some adverbs for it.
2: Yeah. Um. I th- is that true? Yeah, I think a lot of people probably don't think about mood. And for part of it, I think has to do with, um, as Bianca has said, is it makes one's brain start to leak out the ears a little bit. It's hard to think about I sometimes.
1: definitely didn't say that. Yeah, but
0: see, that's what I like about it. You said you said it's
2: squishy, though. It's difficult. I'm just...
0: interpreting. <laughs> <a, a, a laughs> that's a bold well-designed, interpretation, like, mister... <laughs> I like it I I like it for that because it can make you think in different ways. So a well-designed mood system will necessarily not always not really follow the dictionary definitions of the different mood terms that you're attaching to it because you will use your moods in different ways and I like think it's very interesting to try to figure out how you're going to use your moods in different ways. Yeah,
2: I think for a language like ancient Greek,
0: telling people the
2: subjunctive means that something is unreal somehow does people a disservice. By the <laughs> time, like I said, in Homer there's weirdness and you're going to have to confront that. But in classical Greek, it's very routine. It is very grammaticalized. It's very fixed. And that's it. When you use this kind of clause, you must use this kind of mood. Period. End of story. That's it.
1: Did you so say grammaticalized? More...
0: Grammaticalized.
1: Okay. That's <laughs> probably true of a lot
0: of languages. I know that's true in Spanish. There's just when certain constructions you have to use subjunctive. Right. And, and when you tell people,
2: oh, it means this, and then the optative differs because it kind of means it. You're just confusing people. Yeah. I I found mood very confusing for a long time because I did not make obvious sense how the dictionary definition related to, you know, what I was reading
1: in class. No, it definitely doesn't. I still haven't wrapped my brain around the moods in Spanish, but I take a guess and hope it's good enough.
0: (laughs) Everybody has some trouble with subjunctive.
1: I mean, what else are you supposed to do? Ponder away at your dictionary wondering, is this subjunctive or is this conditional? No, just take a guess. No one's going to care that much, unless they're a douche, in which case you don't want to talk to them.
2: <laughs> and then there are patterns, right? There's this kind of conditional. Yeah. Condition, and, and you learn them, right? You should just, I mean, no one likes to see, here's your, especially in Greek, here's your chart of six kinds of conditionals you have to learn, but that's just the way <laughs> it is. Learn them. Then you'll be happy and then you can move on. and You don't have to worry about, these these subtle weirdnesses that that you're supposed to interpret when it has it's not in play anymore
0: yeah and you know the uh the only times when it might come up to the definition is like you mentioned is your subjunctive free or is it always bound to some other structure in in spanish it, it it can be free. You can use the subjunctive by itself to mean may something happen, but um, it's almost like an optative in the in the way it works that way sometimes.
1: Well, you can use it in optative type sentences, yeah. but I wouldn't call it um, an optative. I just say
0: or or subjunctive type situations, but. You know, like you were saying in ancient Greek, there's a bunch of moods that only appear in in certain construction.
2: Right. So, ultimately, the Spanish subjunctive goes all the way back to an optative. So, what happened is, where Greek has a subjunctive and an optative, and where Vedic Sanskrit has the same subjunctive and optative, Latin has a future and a subjunctive. So, what was an Indo-European, the subjunctive in Latin became the future. And what was the optative in Indo-European in Latin became the, the subjunctive. Hmm. So this is another one of those instances, and, and I mentioned this in the last show, where mood and tense, where the future is the moodiest of the tenses, and so you get this crossover that happens. I see. And then one another piece of weird data that I ran across while while doing some research for the show is that for some reason. Your irrealis, however you want to think about it, and habitual aspect sometimes are marked the same. And once again, ancient Greek comes to the fore, which uses a modal particle plus the imperfective, indicates past habitual activity. And then the very closely related West Greenlandic Greenlandic Eskimo (laughs) has a marker of both the, the same marker for future obligation, but also for habit. That's that's odd.
0: <laughs> yeah, I saw that in the show notes. I'm like, uh how does how is that possible? Really? So, a habitual aspect and some sort of irrealist. Yes. Yeah. By well, by this, by this very is... closely related. By the way, he meant he means not related at all. Since <laughs> West Green is. It's an Eskimo language. What are you yeah, talking about? Greenland. I know
1: they were like BFF on Atlantis, so don't <laughs> well, lie to I'm me. Well, I'm
0: just I'm just <laughs> saying some people who are less um who, who who don't exactly know what we're talking about by West Greenlandic might be confused, but okay, the, all right, yeah, they're very right. very sure far they're, away they're, they're from West Greece.
1: Greenland is. <laughs> Or at least Greenland, and then the west part, and then they can look at the map and find out where Greek is, which is probably around Greece.
0: <laughs> and and the fact that Greece Greek is Indo-European, and I don't know what right, language. Well, so it I,
2: is. I, I I pick West Greenlandic. I realize other people may not
0: know much about that language, but
2: yeah, <laughs> anyway. but yeah, I I understand that. My, my point is, is it's not just a weirdness of Greek. It seems to pop up all over the place, and I just happen to...
1: It is quite weird. (laughs) It's
0: it's odd, but it it appears in other languages as well. uh,
2: Not just these two, which could be a... That is what I understand, although I don't have examples from the paper I read.
0: Oh, okay. Um...
2: So probably what people need to do, and we do not need, and we don't have time, to go through a list of every possible mood available to language. Mm-hmm. You know, just do do a, a Google search on Irialis mm-hmm. Mood, and you'll get all sorts of Wikipedia articles and papers and different ways it could be used. So, that seems like a good way to go.
1: Yeah, I mean, once you start thinking about it, you can come up with a lot of possibilities. I mean, I wouldn't yeah. just jump for, like, one of the crazy lesser known ones just because oh my god it's new and unique because you'll probably end up using it the same way as a more common one and then yeah just call it a subjunctive
0: yeah just um okay yeah just (laughs) look at the list but when you decide on what moods you want to have think about how they're going to be used especially probably when you're going through your syntax section of your grammar think about in different constructions how you want to want mood to interact with the the syntax and the semantics of the sentence right but uh with that i think we can probably end on that and move on to our featured conlang which is South Erisian, um if I'm pronouncing that right, we have always been at war with South Aresia, <laughs> but uh I have a little uh clip that was actually sent to me um the creator of this language, uh what's her name on I didn't mark down her name.
1: Her real um, name or a foreign, forum What's her. Well, her forum name is what? Riesla? Riesla? Yeah. I think her name's like Rebecca or something.
0: Yeah, um. Yeah, Rebecca. I, I should just look at my email because it's on my email. Uh. If I. This my. Uh. Re- Rebecca Burns Gaussman. But she sent me this. Um. You may recognize it because you may have heard it before. Uh, let me make sure y- you guys can hear it. So, that was... Did you guys hear that? Yep. Yeah. Okay. That was her saying, uh, Welcome to Conlangery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. That's my tagline for the top of the show that I've had people translate. But um, after I featured that, I actually looked at, I actually found some information on it, and uh, found that the the language itself is uh, fairly interesting. So. Did you guys get a chance to take a look at all the stuff? I did.
1: Mm-hmm. I totally did not. <laughs> Sorry.
3: Well, you uh, just moved.
1: Yes, give me a break. I just moved. Yes, that's my excuse. I did to do so, pub quiz night.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, it's it's an interesting language, what we've seen so far. It's mm-hmm. got this sort of Nahuatl phonology which she openly admits to, and she's somewhat perversely, in my opinion, um, decided to follow the Spanish spelling habits. (laughs) So, so we have an invented language that is written as though it were discovered by Spanish missionaries.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I just noticed that. That's kind of... I would not do that. Did she deliberately.
2: She deliberately did that because she likes how it looks.
0: She likes how it looks. Her
2: language, she can do what she wants.
0: Oh, Ostetle. Yeah. Discovered, looks like it was discovered by 15th century Spanish because it has X for. Right. Yeah. So, um. But, yeah, um, I did not. Since I'm not that familiar with, uh, with Mawatu phonology. I didn't actually pick up on that when I looked at it, but I do see... I have seen some interesting stuff. She has a whole... So, this is documented on her blog. Which... I don't know if it's the best way to do it. It's a good way to present things, but not necessarily a good thing, way to document things. I wish I could find a, an actual grammar. Right. but so, so even though there are some
2: things that are Nahuatl, there are other things that are not. So, for example, there are ejectives. It is one description of the phonology, although the most the, the last post on her blog, I, I, I don't think I can find a single ejective in that, so she may have backed off of that. So even though the phonology is somewhat Nahuatl-like, the grammar, frankly, reminds me more of some language from the Pacific Northwest.
0: I, I,
1: I, I Those are all the vogue.
0: Like, are they all the vogue?
1: I, in my world, they are.
0: What? Yeah, they're kind of funky. What's what's all the vogue?
2: Th- these native languages of the Pacific Northwest, oh, as sort of okay. as grammatical <laughs> inspiration.
0: Um,
1: not like vogue in the normal person world, though.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I'm just I'm <laughs> i I I downloaded a grammar of Cherokee that I'm paging through. So. Sure, so no, yeah, totally,
2: kids uh, kids in school here are all learning Salish and,
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, uh, I'm,
0: and all not, that. I'm not for Pacific Northwest right now, but uh, if you say so, Bianca, I'm not into the transunit.com No, I'm
1: telling you, in England they love it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, but, um, everybody <laughs> loves American Indian languages, but, uh, yeah, she has. What's these transformative verbs that she's using? Uh, well, so
2: this is somewhat um, Uto Aztecan, but other native languages do this too. Is you don't say, I am a noun, or I become a noun, or I make something a noun. There's always these derivational processes that are used instead. Um, oh, we have a lovely example here. We stop making corn liquor. So that's very Central American. Um, how is this? Right, so corn liquor is the noun, and then you have this suffix that says you're making it, and then the rest of the normal verbal morphology, right? Finish. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's very typical of those languages. Um, she has a 15 locative suffixes. um, And they again are verbal things. Um, So you'll have a a noun like ost for house. And then all sorts of things are suffixed to that. And she uses that as the example. Uh, Well, that's nice. Ostemete, which means I'm in physical contact with the house. So she has this locative that indicates Sort of surface contact, which is, which pop up across languages on the planet, which is sort of interesting. Um, but this is quite a restrained set compared to, say, a Salish language, which will have many dozens or many, many dozens of these things.
0: I notice also that he, she has a whole post on names, and there's a fairly complex naming. Uh, they have fairly comp, she worked out a fairly complex way to name people that has, you have like four different names. And one is, uh, that involves like place and date and a religious thing as well as a given name.
2: So I would guess that this is a well organized and possibly hierarchical society.
0: Possibly. Because uh, otherwise
2: some of those names don't make much sense.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Um, Let's see here. The verbal inflection was interesting and puzzling to me in that some are suffix, fine, some are prefixed, fine, but I wasn't able to determine... If there is a pattern, or if it's just something that has to be memorized,
1: huh? It's hmm. so. Is it? Do you know the context where they change, or is that what you're trying to find?
2: No, no, no. They don't change. One verb gets. No, like.
1: Oh. Okay.
2: But I don't know if that's if there's some semantic feature, um, or if it's simply verb class. And you just have to memorize that l. Speak has to have the prefixes, and niche, which means walk, has to have the suffixes.
0: Oh yeah, I see what you mean. There's there are there's a class of verbs that takes suffixes, and a class of verbs that takes prefixes.
1: Oh, verbs, so it's, it's lexically not, determined.
0: Yeah, but it, but sh- I guess she hasn't made it exactly clear what whether. Let's see. A verb has both animate and inanimate things in normal people. Well, I don't know. Right. It it seems like it it's not exactly certain when when a verb is suffixing and when it's prefixing.
3: Uh, So
2: a a language like a language like Lakota, these represent um, kind of transitivity things. Like you got Something vaguely irritative like and then, you know, something stative, um, for example, is is a possibility. Mm -hmm. And there doesn't seem to be any of that here. I didn't notice any text, so I I guess we have to assume it's just lexical and that this verb does it this way and different verbs do it other ways.
1: Yeah, Yeah. it's hard to tell without. Yeah,
0: which is fine if it's just an arbitrary distinction, That that happens all the time but uh it would be nice to have that written out a little clearer and i just think uh maybe it would be good i don't maybe she's not quite done with the language and that's why she just does it on the blog but it would be good for her to collect all her information and put it in one document so that we could see so that somebody could actually look at the language as a whole and see how it works
1: yeah i mean there are a variety of reasons for that to happen i mean at the very least, it could have been, like, just a phonemic thing or a phonological thing, and then over time it got changed. She did have a proto language, didn't she? Or am I making that up?
0: Uh, I don't know. Um, she mentions, um, family. Uh, if she mentions a family that looks fictional to me, Noro Orisian. That, hmm. uh, that South Floridian supposedly came out of. So she'll I don't have know to... if she derived it from a, um, if she derived it from a pro language, or if she—if that's just BS that she wrote up.
1: Well, she'll have to send us an email telling us we're all wrong about everything.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I um that's about all that i re- we can really say about this language um, there's some nifty things though it's yeah it's 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 worth looking at her blog and yeah. taking a look at some of the different features she has and reading it a little bit closer than we have read it because i think i i didn't read enough of it but uh <laughs> william probably read read more of it than I did.
2: Yeah, but two weeks ago now, almost. Yeah. <laughs> right. So He's yeah, like, oh, we'll do this. And I was like, oh, wait, Bianca's crossing the ocean. Okay, we'll wait a week for recording. It's like, oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah um,
1: like the one, when we have the break of one week, it feels like it's been like a whole month. And I'm just like, oh, I have to do this thing again. <laughs> I think I to read something today.
0: Yeah. Uh, what are we going to do when we take a longer break? Uh, anyway, well, um, I think why don't we just, uh, run along to feedback? And I'll have links to the South Aresian stuff in my, in the show notes. But, uh, I want to talk about, we got one really good email from James Campbell, and he said, uh, I keep meaning to just, dialects as a topic of discuss, for discussion. We English speakers tend not to realize the extraordinary divergence that can be found in dialects. But My exposure to North Norwegian dialects over the last decade or so, and briefly last month, of West Flemish di- dialect, has demonstrated to me a little non-standard grammar and some unusual terms for fish. Uh, it, it had demonstrated to me that it's not... Just a case of a little non standard grammar and some unusual terms for fish and farming equipment. As one might think from the situation in England these days, uh, I, I'm gonna what? just, uh, parenthetically insert, um, looking at the Norwegian dialects, you will see very stark differences. So, but there's some stark differences in English too. He yeah. said, what gets me is the differences in pronouns allow me to dis- demonstrate, and basically he says basically different Norwegians have, Norwegian dialects have different pronouns the standard uh, Norwegian has jeg and mig, uh for I and me, and in northern Norwegian it's like I and ma I'm probably mispronouncing all of these
1: Yeah, I was about to say, we're going to get an email from an angry Norwegian being like, you said it all wrong.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe I'll get better on these, um, Flemish. Maybe they should send
1: us IPA. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, I would prefer IPA. But, um, and he also talks about, uh, he has some friends near Ostend in Belgium who speak Flemish, and he mentioned differences between Standard Dutch and and the that Flemish dialect and you know for for example uh, Standard Dutch doesn't distinguish nominative and accusative you it's both uni. Uh but this dialect has gider and yunder uh, So, um, but I think, in short, really, I don't, I think that we should probably do dialects at some time in the future, because it's a very interesting thing, and there are actually a few conlangers that do go through all the work it does to actually create some dialects for the languages.
2: That's tough if you are not already one of the historical people. If, if, if you're not normally in the process of creating a proto-language and then deriving your language from that, dialects can be a little trickier. So yeah. sometimes, I mean, you can just sort of start making stuff up, but it helps, well, we can talk about this in the episode, but that can quickly get out of control and look nonsensical.
0: Yeah, we need to, maybe we should talk about dialects as and, and historical linguistics together a little bit. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, we also got a comment on our blog... That I deleted three times before I decided it was not spam. Uh, This guy named Dreakley says, mood as people? <laughs> so, what do you guys think? Mood as people? Dreekly,
2: I you think... need to tell us what
0: you mean by that. <laughs> I have no I think... idea what you're talking about, dude. I you think we to... should
1: all have one hypothesis and like put a bet. And be like, <laughs> I wonder who's going to get closest to what this means. I think my original hypothesis with something along the lines of mood conjugated as a person on the verb but that doesn't make any sense
0: yeah I don't I don't know if he really knows what he's trying to ask yes
1: yeah, so a little
0: it's a little terse mood
1: maybe as people
0: okay I'm going to I'm going to make a, uh, a, a, a A bet on something that might actually make a little sense, Uh, using different moods for different when you're talking to different people. So, like a a politeness thing, especially with uh, commands. You might you or suggestions. You might want to do different moods on uh, for different levels of social status. Maybe he's talked about that.
1: That makes sense.
0: Yeah. Will or we William, could just, you want to? I'm not. I'm not going to
1: guess. We, this person needs to tell us
0: what they mean. <laughs> okay. Okay, dude. Uh, email me or leave a comment on this podcast telling me, telling us what exactly you're trying to ask us because we don't know what you're talking about. Yes.
3: Yeah.
1: As long as one of us can figure it out, it's for the best. Unlike me, where I failed and someone was trying to like use my name or something, and I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> Yeah, well, anyway, they put me in the right direction.
0: Uh, anybody have any parting words of wisdom, Bianca?
1: Mm, I never have wisdom. What is this? this?
0: You need to start thinking about it beforehand, maybe. (laughs) Uh, I I
1: don't. Oh no, I do have wisdom teeth. What what
0: is it,
2: Bianca? Do you Uh, have wisdom?
1: Oh, no, I was saying I still have my wisdom teeth. Uh, anyway. Okay. <laughs> okay well, well, I do not
2: have my
0: wisdom teeth, and so I, I have, have nothing to say. Okay. Well, then, happy conlanging. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find all our episodes and show notes, as well as subscribe to our iTunes or RSS feeds, through conlangery.conlang.org. You can also like our Facebook page or follow at ConLangery on Twitter. If you would like to contact us with corrections, comments, questions, or suggestions, or even suggest your own ConLang as a feature, please email conlangery at gmail.com or call into our new voicemail line, 304 6281 We also have a handy suggestions form on our site Our theme music was created by Xander Medeas